Welcome back to the Midweek Edition. Today we will be a little shorter because, uh, well, I know I've said that before. Uh, but today I plan on being a little shorter. We're going through Genesis 23, and it's another lesser-known passage. Uh, but we're going to read it, and we're going to point out a few things of significance within it. Uh, and then, um, yeah, we'll go on from there. But hey, uh, just a heads up, my family's home and my cats are home. So you may hear some walking around upstairs or clinking, clanging of silverware like you can right now. But also, um, my cat, we got a new kitten. And I've noticed while I've been down in the basement today that I can hear my my older cat growling through the floor. <laughs> so if occasionally you hear like, that's not like an earthquake or a car, that's that's my cat. Okay, so anyways, um, yeah, let's go ahead and just read it all. And then we're going to point out a few things of significance. Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. All right, let's stop right there for this weeping. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Uh, just kind of catches you off guard at first because it's talking about went in, when and where, you know. So let's pause and just look at the ancient custom of weeping. You know, even if you look at uh, today's world, you'll find that if you go to a, a uh, funeral of a different kind of culture, you're going to find a different kind of, uh, um, well, a, a different kind of grieving process. Uh, you're going to find some cultures are very kind of toned down, trying to keep it together, a little bit of crying, whereas others are just kind of like very loudly letting it all out, feeling all of the emotion all together at once. Uh, so it varies depending on where you are. But in ancient times, there was a lot of really letting it out. And as you read throughout your Bibles, you come across different passages that seem to imply customs that today we're unfamiliar with. So let me take from Winhan's com commentary here. He says, uh, he came in to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. The first term, mourn, is used almost exclusively for bewailing the dead, while the second, weep, may cover weeping for joy as well as in sorrow. But when, as here, weep is followed by the accusative, it refers always to sorrow prompted by death. The use of both terms together suggests that Abraham did not just weep aloud, but carried out other traditional mourning customs, such as rending his garments, disheveling his hair, cutting his beard, scattering dust on his head, and fasting. These rites were carried out in front of the corpse, hence the opening he came in, i.e. to the tent or part of the tent where Sarah lay. He rose up from before his dead wife. So that's when we're looking at the this just like he went in and, and cried and mourned. What, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It brings to mind a lot of other Bible verses and just a lot of, uh, um, you know, just all the different kind of customs that they had in ancient times to truly grieve the death of a loved one. All right, picking up where we left off. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. 
Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. All right, this title, Prince of God, right here, could be translated other ways. Actually, though the ESV translates it uh, a prince of God, ESV has a footnote there, says, or you could translate it mighty prince. Um, another possible translation is like the elect of God. Um, whatever case you go, there's different ideas as to like, if this was religious or not. Some commentaries would say like, it's probably just like an, a way of calling him an honorable person, um, not necessarily having any kind of religious connotation to it. Sarna would say that. However, um, I don't know. I, 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 we keep in mind the fact that Abraham has probably been known a little bit in his community. He's again, he's won wars. His whole family seems to be quite large when you bring into mind all of his servants and all these things. Um, he's had very good, um, and he just appears to be a man full of blessing wherever it is that you. You look at him wherever it is, is he goes. So with all that being said, it would make sense to me that in some way this could have like this religious undertone of you are someone whom God has blessed, whom God is with, because your life truly would not be as as crazy, as blessed looking as it is without God's providence behind it. In fact, they're old too, and old age was a sign of blessing from God as well. Sarah just died at 127 years, and uh, some commentaries will question if that truly was the age at which, which she passed, uh, simply because uh, some Jewish midrash later on, some Jewish teaching th saw it more as like a symbol when Ham points out that... Uh, some of the Jewish teachings saw it as like a hundred stands for great age, 20 for beauty and seven for blamelessness. How do you get to that number? I don't exactly know. Uh, but they would look at Sarah being 127 as like a symbolic understanding of numbers. Uh, I don't know that we would have to go that far. You know, I'm not really sure what to make of that entirely. You'll remember before the flood, people lived for a long time as to if that was just a way of talking about entire clans or if people truly did live much longer at the time, I don't know. But then the Bible starts like uh, kind of getting younger as far as like people live. They don't live for hundreds of years anymore. Uh, so maybe Sarah's some crossover if there is something scientific, which I know sounds kind of weird. But, you know, that's another question that people could take, I, I guess. Whatever the case may be, nonetheless, the Bible records her as living quite old, and when it comes to blessing, like living up to an old age like that is, is quite a blessing. Plus, if you remember when we talked about families, uh, family life and children and all that on the podcast, we saw like a lot of people did not live very long at all. Uh, mothers often would pass away giving birth, um, children would often pass away before they had uh, gotten very old at all. That's probably part of the reason there was this big celebration for Isaac when he was finally weaned. Why? Well, maybe because he's entering into a new stage of, of, of boyhood, but 
probably because not all these children made it to the point of being weaned. Keeping children alive was a complicated thing. So all that being said, I, I bring all that up to say that, like, I think Abraham's kind of made a name for himself to some extent. You know, he's made deals with kings. He's uh, got a bunch of of uh, people with him. He's won wars. I think uh, it would make sense as he approaches the Hittites, the Hittites have in some way heard of him, and that when they say, hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us, and that they're probably implying to some extent, like, God has blessed you. That would be my assumption, even though some commentaries would say that maybe it's just more of a figure of speech of a way of honoring him. I guess you can do with that what you would. Uh, it goes on. Uh, so they say, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It, it is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Okay, uh, this conversation is going to go back and forth for a little bit here. But uh, you see this kind of like, well, maybe generosity. We'll talk about some other ways to possibly understand this in, in a bit here. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to point out, maybe you caught this if you've been listening to the podcast. It said, um, Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. Now, you'll remember on our podcast about Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, we run into Lot at the gate. And as we look at this understanding of the gate of cities throughout the Bible, it, it truly seems to be, there, there are some undertones that come with it. There's often like legal things happening there. There's um, conversations of justice happening there. Just like... Um, Judge judgment type things are being made at the gates of the city uh, throughout the Bible. So that being said, that's why we wondered, like, is Lot like a, uh, is he like a political person in his town or like a judge in his town? In the same way, we're now seeing like a land transaction happening between Abraham and the Hittites. Where? At the gate of the city. And on top of that, uh, you know, it says that Abraham uh, was there, Ephron was there, and it was in the hearing of the Hittites. So it's as though people have gathered around to be witnesses to this transaction of land between Abraham and Ephron. So with that being said, you know, we, we just have to learn to get our mind into ancient uh, understanding. And when we then when we hear gate of the city, we're not just thinking of location. We're thinking of like, this is a place where you would have a conversation like that, a legal conversation, a transaction of sorts. Uh, so, yeah, Ephron offers it to him. Uh, just take it, bury your dead. Verse 12. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. 
And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, and I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So uh, just to pause there, we don't know if that's like an absorbent amount of money or a small amount of money, partially because the Bible itself says that that is uh, the weights current among the merchants, meaning this is being written later, right? Uh, they... They're talking about like back then, the way that they used to weigh out money back then. That's the kind of currency that they were using then. So we don't know if that was like smaller or larger based on the time that this was written. Uh, and so we can only guess as to like if Abraham was being ripped off or just being given uh, land for super cheap. But when we do look at all that... Um, we're left with this story of kind of like going back and forth with what appears to be kindness, right? I mean, you've had this happen before where someone comes up to you and like, hey, I just want to, uh, I don't know, take you out to eat. And you're like, okay, yeah, let's go out to eat. Okay, well, let me cover it. No, 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 I'll cover it. No, 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 I'll cover it. No, 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 I'll cover it. And you're just going back and forth. In the same way, you've kind of got what appears to be this conversation of kindness. Abraham's lost his wife. He's looked at as like this uh, um, this blessed man of God, and he comes comes along, and they're like, he's like, I would like some land, and they're like, oh, just take whatever land you like. Oh no no no, I'll pay for it. Oh no no no, just take it. Oh no no no, I'll pay for it. And then what actually sounds quite funny, right? It's as though the guy states how much it costs. Um, as a way of like stating how much it would cost if he wanted to pay for it, but at the same time saying, no, there's no need to pay for it. You know, his words again are, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is it between you and me? Bury your dead. And then it said, Abraham's like, okay, 400 it is. So he pays it there, which, you know, leaves us kind of curious as to what's going on there. Is he actually... Um, is this a way that they're arriving at a deal or is it kind of kindness going back and forth trying to, to sort that out? Now, this too is a bit questionable uh, because from one extent, the way that we see it could be like Abraham's just this really blessed guy and they just want to give him land. But when we look at other cultures and we look at uh, haggling and in other places, we could see it it uh, actually being a conversation of how much they're going to buy it from each other, just in kind of like a, a very kind, strange way. So uh, Nathan McDonald points out in a scholarly article, he says, extravagant language and behavior often accompany the haggle. Friendliness and expressions of affections may give way to ridicule and oaths. In the Middle East, the buyer may be addressed with kinship language and offered the item as a gift. However, haggling is usually perceived as a practice that is socially negative. This is true of customers, traders, and anthropologists. For this reason, the practice usually requires a degree of social distance. 
So then uh, K.A. Matthews points out, if so, if this is the way that we're to perceive that, then Ephron's behavior is not benevolent but self-serving. Abraham's compliance kept the negotiations as a positive experience and averted the detrimental effects that haggling can produce. So, again, we're kind of left with questions as to how exactly this was going down, as to if it was as kind as it was. But there's still a deeper point than the story that we've heard so far, which we're going to get to in a minute. Now, of course, there's another reason that you could have Abraham trying so hard to buy this if it isn't haggling. And that would be um, to make sure that, uh, oh, how do I say it? Uh, that that he wouldn't be indebted to them, right? Because, you know, this is this guy who's got some prominence in the area. He's done them a favor. Uh, sorry, Ephron has now done Abraham a favor. Now down the road, who knows when Ephron comes and asks for something, what is he going to do back? And we, of course, can all kind of relate to that. Uh not because people are out to get each other necessarily, but when somebody gives you something nice and then later down the road asks for something, well, they did something nice for you at one point, and it feels kind of degrading on your behalf to not do something in return. So in the same way that you might feel indebted by a gift, Abraham also could maybe feel indebted if he wasn't going to buy this himself so if he is just trying to really make a negotiation then there's a possibility that a big part of the reason is so that he doesn't owe anything back to these um to these people all right so either way they go on to buy this land whether it was a haggle or um abraham everyone just being too kind to each other whether it was paid for too much or too little though the way that they're talking seems to have the implication that it maybe was um a normal price though you know we we can only i guess speculate on that uh and then we just continue with the end of the story so the field of ephron and machpelah which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field at Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So, um, just a few things to draw your attention to here. This really is a big part of the weight of this particular story. It takes us back uh, two podcast episodes, and two podcast episodes ago, Abraham was just starting to feel really good about himself. You know, he names a uh, uh, he, he talks about how God is an everlasting God. Why is he talking about that? Well, the conclusion that we reached is because he had just gotten a well in a land that God had promised his descendants. So to some extent, you have Abraham in that story, just like, man, God promised my descendants this land. He promised me that I have a kid. I've got a kid now at my old age, and I've got a, a well in this land uh, and now here I am still a sojourner uh, in this land, a foreigner among these Hittites. And I go to the Hittites and what happens? 
I bought a piece of their land. They didn't just give it to me. I bought it. It's my land now. And perhaps that's the reason that Abraham is so desperate to buy it even, right? Like, let me actually own some of this land because I'm getting old too. My wife has died and she's been a part of this promise that our descendants would take this land. So in, in her final breath, maybe he'll like ensure that that promise is coming even more so. Let me let me buy it. Let me have a piece of it. And so he does. He buys the, the land from the Hittites. And perhaps this is even more notable than the well, because the well was bought from the Philistines, which we gather are kind of in this Canaanite land. But at the same time, the Philistines were not listed as a specific people group that God would give land to. So if we were to go back to Genesis 15, 18, um, it says, to your offspring, I give the land of the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So here, we specifically have it recorded. He's gotten land in Canaan, and that makes us think of the Canaanites, obviously, and he's bought it from the Hittites. So though the Philistines' well wasn't necessarily mentioned in that list, even if they live in that area, the Hittites are. And so towards the Abraham, uh, towards the end of Abraham's life, he now has um, gotten a piece of land in the land that's been promised to him. And to some extent, you just now see like the very early beginnings of that which is to, to come down the road. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Abraham's uh, promise is starting to come true yet again to another extent at the end of his life. And uh, we'll continue to um, unravel where the story goes as we start to leave the story of Abraham and head into the story of of his descendants from here on out. Now, as we wrap this up, just a reminder, we are holding a conference in March of 2020 on spiritual gifts, trying to empower the entire church, uh, our entire church, and it's open to all churches, uh, to find their spiritual gifting so that God can use everyone in whatever church they're at uh, to be able to pursue the Holy Spirit more freely and uh, incorporate their gifting into church. If you'd like to sign up for this, go to 128greenwood.com slash reveal. And once you're there, you'll find uh, some videos, the speakers, uh, the sessions we're doing, uh, but also the registration button. Just click on that to go get signed up for the early bird pricing of 15 bucks. So we're excited for this, and we just encourage you to uh, get set up for it now. Okay, with that being said, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>